alive. Hello, and welcome back to another... I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. Episode of the First Time Watchers Podcast. Because we like to watch. My name is Tim Costa. I'm Romano De Silva. And those crickets you hear is the sound of Walter Vinci running away from the big giant butthole. Uh, but joining us tonight, our semi-regular contributor, the man who is a savior to any podcast planet he drops into from Criterion Cast, Mark Herney. Welcome back to the show, Mark. Thank you so much. I'm giggling at that intro with the uh, Star Wars Episode Two drop. That was wonderful. Nice work. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, well, because the sand, it is coarse, you know. Yes, it is coarse, and it gets everywhere. It does. Uh, <laughs> speaking of getting everywhere, what's the latest on the Criterion Cast? Oh, always good stuff going on. There's a, a re- review of Bea Hansen Loves Bergman Island that everyone should probably check out. Uh, there is a recent episode on the Criterion channel. So if you're looking for some stuff on you know, how to get into the collection, uh, that's with Joshua Brunsting and a uh, friend of the show, Michael Hutchins. And a lot of good stuff from uh, Aaron West, of course, and Criterion Now. They recently did an episode on horror in the Criterion Collection, along with Jill Morton and uh, Drew Morton and Jill Blake. So if you're thinking about what to watch uh, to close out Spooky Movie Month, check that out. Excellent. Uh, well, if you'd like to send feedback to our episode, you can always email us at firsttimewatchers at gmail.com. Uh, in this episode, we'll be discussing the long-anticipated Denis Villeneuve film, Dune. But before we get into that, it is time for Yay or Nay. Yay! Uh, this is the part of the show where we discuss what we have seen recently on our own, Mark. So I'm a little afraid that uh, if I go too long in a yay or nay, that uh, we may get into in-session film no. lengths on uh, talking no. about Dune. No. Um, Impossible. Never. Two hours and 50 minutes. Nope. I mean, they, they were longer than the, the movie itself. Yes. I, I think I think almost as long as the book. I, I, I am a, I'm a skeleton in my chair right now. <laughs> so I, I do want to keep it short. I just wanted to briefly highlight... I uh, had a really good time at the Vermont International Film Festival the second week in October. Mm. Um, it was just the experience itself. I saw 19 films in 11 days, which wow. was wonderful. Uh, average of, you know, a couple films a day. They had a, a really nice mix of virtual and in-person. So typically I'd go to the, you know, the the evening show and, of course, saw four movies on one Sunday. And then I'd come home and watch something, you know, virtually. So that was great really good experience uh i think the the mix of the two is really helpful in being COVID safe i could go see something wear my mask everyone's supposed to be vaccinated and then come home and watch something virtually so that was a nice way to spend uh, a week in october but the the three i just wanted to briefly highlight uh i saw cow which is the first documentary from andrea arnold that she's ever done it's about the life of a cow uh, and there, it's got three very memorable, memorable scenes in it that stand out. And I thought that uh, it it really was a, a good documentary. It almost drags a little bit towards the end, but that kind of is the life of a cow, right? Is you know we they they exist. <laughs> so that should be out, I think, in early 2022. I haven't seen a, an official U.S. release date. The next one is Petite Maman, which uh, stands for oh. is tr- translated to Little Mother. I'm jealous. Ah, uh, is this on your list? It is on my list. I, I, I'm anxious. 
I didn't realize it was coming out until it was mentioned by Joshua Brunsting at being the, at the uh, Toronto International Film Festival. And then, you know, a week later, it's here. So I did get to see it in person and virtually. Uh, it's This is the latest by director, Celine Sciamma, uh, of course, of Portrait of a Lady on Fire fame. She, this is back to a smaller scale film, though, for her. Uh, it's kind of a coming of age movie, but the protagonist is eight. So it's more about her familial relationships and is excellent. Very well done. Now, if I'm expected. not mistaken, uh, Celine mm. Sciamma also directed a movie from a few years back called Tomboy. She did, and, which I love. Uh, yes, I, I agree. It was also a very uh, good movie. And there were a lot of child actors in that movie. And uh, yes. I, I imagine she had just as good a handle on, on with the acting performances here. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, you have an eight year old actress here and uh, I don't I won't really say much more than that, um, but she is in just kind of the way the plot goes. But she's she's a wonder. She's fabulous. So it, she I, I don't know how she gets these kind of performances out of children, but she's first rate. The best. Fantastic. <laughs> so I think this should be no official release date either, but I'm guessing, uh, you know, early 2022, similar to, you know, Portrait coming out early in the year. And lastly is the latest from Joachim Trier. So The Worst Person in the World. Uh, this is the final film in his Oslo trilogy. He had reprise in Oslo August 31st. Um, this one is is really good uh, as well. Uh, one of the standout movies, really a lot of energy in it. Um, very small quibbles with it, but I, I think overall it's wonderful. It's about, um, you know, we're, we're past the age of the protagonists uh, in this film, but I can relate as I have a daughter, you know, going into her, uh, going into the workforce in a few years. And it, you know, kind of tracks this woman as she is at that time in her life very early on. I, there's a stationary camera, you know, similar to that of uh, Ozu, but there's also some slight pans and zooms, uh, even some quick zooms that kind of call attention to themselves. So, um, this is going to be Oslo or uh, Norway's entry into uh, the Oscars, and again, I think should be stateside at least by early 2022, if not, you know, later this year. Um, so those are my three picks: Cal, Petite Maman, and the Worst Person in the World. And these these three were all watched uh, via the uh, Vermont International Film Festival. The film festival. Uh, yep. Yeah, I saw them all in person, and uh, uh, most were w- available virtually as well. That's exciting. That's exciting. Good time. Uh, yeah, a couple of things for me. Continuing on Spooky Movie Month, uh, I had been watching. Uh, the, I'd watched the first three Scream films, and I liked them. And you know, I, I, was, I had commented on how they acted as a really good trilogy, despite there being more in the series. So I, I had watched uh, Scream Four the other day, a, a movie that came out in 2011. So it's been ten years, and it was ten years since Scream Three had come out, and. Um, and, you know, I had remembered next to nothing about this movie. Uh, and and I think I like this, uh, you know, I kind of ranked like, uh, uh, you know, Scream, the first Scream is the, is the best one, of course. And I think I would go Scream 3 and then Scream 2. But I think I like this even better than Scream 3. I think this is the second best in the series so far. Uh, and And it's pretty interesting, too, because, you know, it's... It's ten years, and and Cindy Prescott is, you know, has put herself back together thanks to, in part of her writing, uh, 
and as as IMDb says, is visited by the Ghostface Killer. Um, I, I think you know with what Wes Craven is doing in this movie, he seems a bit ahead of the times regarding the ideas of internet fame. And you know, there's a term recently that's been called, it's been you know coined uh, legacy sequels, and and because he's commenting on the idea of reboots and he pokes fun at the repeated nature of meta movies, which is of course what he made famous with the first scream and, and it shifts towards those reboots and the way they go out of their way to be rule breaking. Uh, but they instead become just kind of rehashes of the original movie. And, you know, the, the final killer monologue in this movie is kind of clever and how it puts Sydney in a familiar position uh, but changes it up in a way that feels a little modern, despite, uh, y- you know, this movie actually now being a decade old. So, um, mm. you know, as far as, as Nev Campbell's uh, character, I, I really, you know, I think she really did a great job of growing into the character as the series progressed. And But her her character here is kind of pushed aside a little bit and I don't think that even harms the movie that much because it allows the younger cast and, uh, and, uh, you know, more time and it keeps the viewer guessing as to who the actual killer could be. So, uh, I, I think this movie is, you know, has a pretty clever script and, and it's also kind of amusing how the aging cast kind of makes fun of their, their age and compared to the younger counterparts. And, uh, uh, since mm. those younger kids are at the same age as when they started the series. So it's, it, there's a lot of, a lot of little layers to this movie, which I, I think kind of elevates it. So, uh, that, that's a, a yay for scream four and, um, a movie that's not a yay is a movie that I saw in theaters uh, this past weekend and, uh, another series in a long line of, of movies in a franchise and that's Halloween kills. Yeah, yikes. Uh-oh. This this movie is not good. It's not good. So if you haven't seen any of the other Halloween movies, like uh, the person I went to see this with, uh, that's okay. Because this movie tells you everything you needed to know about the events you've seen, the, the events you haven't seen, and the characters you really just don't give a shit about. And it breaks it down like you're a dummy. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's really poorly written it's bad and it's it's disappointing too because the 2018 halloween you know earned a lot of goodwill with me and i think a lot of other people too because i think it worked really well and it it introduced you know jamie lee curtis character in a you know where she would realistically be at this point in her life and i mean hermano you had seen this the 2018 movie right yeah i caught it uh on tv the other day just like the last half of it and i was like, hey, this is a little bit better than I remember it being. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, I think, pretty you know, relatively clever, relatively well done for, like I said, where you would expect all these characters to be and introducing, you know, her daughter and her granddaughter. And, and uh, it, you know, I will say the, the that movie was a little mean-spirited, I think, you know, in terms of the kills. You know, I don't remember the... Fr- I'm not a big Halloween buff. You know, I don't think I've seen many of the movies beyond the first one. Uh, and and I don't remember the tone of the original movie being very mean-spirited. Yes, he's he's this killer, and he kills whoever is in his way, I guess. But uh, the, the tone of the 2018 movie was pretty mean. <laughs> and, uh, and how he went out of his way to kill these people. Um, 
and it, the the tone continues in this movie, and I just don't get the decision to to continue with that. Um, there there's an interesting idea of mob mentality in this movie, and you know how a group of town folks banding together to rid this area of darkness that's that's befallen them. It, it's almost like a western uh, in tone and feel, but it's so poorly executed and it makes no sense in the end. It and and it it doesn't help that. A number of times they state how, you know, when they start, when they go out in the, uh, looking for Michael Myers in the town, that they have to stick together. But what's the first thing that they do is they split up. <laughs> and it's just so fucking dumb. It's, this movie is so bad. It's, it's bad. It's, it's really one of the poorer movies I've seen this year. Uh, and it's a shame. So mm. that's, a, that's a nay. And, and it obviously sets up for a third movie. And, you know, I think they plan the, the series as a trilogy. Um, Halloween but, ends. Yeah, and and even Jamie Lee Curtis's character is sidelined for this movie. It's like they really were spitting their tires and didn't know uh, what they needed to do uh, to, I guess, stretch it out for a third movie or in between their ideas for the first and for the beginning and the end. Um, mm. So, I, I, yeah, it's it's real disappointing. And uh, it sounds kind of like uh, the way I felt after watching. Halloween two, the Rob Zombie version. I, I I shouldn't make that comparison, but it, yeah, it just felt very mean spirited and just didn't know why it existed. Uh, and I, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, you know, that movie is kind of pretty divisive. I'm not even sure I've seen. It. Mm-hmm. I know I've seen the first one. I'm not even sure I've seen the yeah. second one. Um, and you know, there's a lot of people who really go to bat for that movie. Uh, oh, but, yeah. Uh, mm. I don't know. I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't deal with it. Even if we started going through, we revisited Halloween one, uh, as a family, my son had seen it once when he was 11, I think, and it traumatized him. So he wanted to <laughs> revisit it and he came through with flying colors. And so we're, we're actually up to Halloween three, but I, I found two pretty disappointing compared to Halloween one. Um, so I, I'm, I'm with you. I, for a long time, I'd only seen one and that's really the only one that I care that much about, but I will say that Halloween three is probably more fun than it uh, deserves. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> it has good. A, a, that's a wonderful a, ending. Yeah, that's so. gotten a lot of critical and and you know uh, fan reappraisal over the years as as a, a movie, despite not having Michael Myers. Uh, it's it's pretty right. fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forty forty minutes in, my wife turns to me, is like, "Is Michael Myers in this movie?" <laughs> and I, I didn't I didn't warn her because I knew otherwise we wouldn't get to see it. So. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, Hermano, what do you got? All right, I watched a series. Uh, I want to champion this show because I don't hear a lot of people talking about it. Um, so, you know, I want to get more eyes on it. Uh, on Netflix, there's a show called Squ- uh, Squid Game. <laughs> you guys heard of it? I think so. so Maybe. Mentioned here or there. Yeah, I, I really want to, Tim, just amplify my voice just for the next five minutes. Sure. Uh, I really want to send this message out. You got it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'll read the synopsis here. Hundreds of cash-strapped players accept a strange invitation to compete in children's games. Inside, a tempting prize awaits with uh, deadly high stakes, a survival game that has a whopping 45.6 billion won prize at stake. Um, So, joking aside, I'm sure you guys have heard of this show. Uh, I took a little while to get on board because I was finishing up some other series, but I just finished it like a couple days ago, and... Uh, I don't know what you guys have been hearing as far as like opinions on it, but my opinion is that it's pretty great. Um, I didn't 
I think on the surface, once I had heard what it was, I just started immediately. Like I think everyone else, like you know, comparisons to Battle Royale, The Hunger Games, things like that. But I think this is better than both those things <laughs> by far. Uh, Battle Royale, wow. you know, it's just a, you know, it, it, for the time it was it was out there, it was kind of groundbreaking. But you know, I don't think there's a lot of meat on that film. It, it just is kind of the the salaciousness of it for the most part. Uh, Hunger Games, you know, it's just kind of a teen drama. Um, but this, I think, succeeds in a lot of ways that those others don't. Um, mostly because I think the strongest aspect of the show is the characters and the writing. Um, really well done, really well realized characters. And it's crazy considering the competition features 456 people. Uh, where basically it's they this game gets presented to these people uh, and they're all in like some sort of like financial uh, trouble. So, you know, it's easy to tempt them to come and play this, even though they don't know really what they're getting into. Uh, and then, you know, they quickly realize, you know, <laughs> shit gets real. And, uh, you know, th then it kind of kicks off from there. But uh, yeah, I mean, you guys have probably heard like, you know, they're playing games like Red Light, Green Light. Uh, that was really the only one I recognized i think everything else is probably like uh specific to korea because um even the show's title comes from a game i guess that used to be played a long time ago in korea and i'd never heard of it so i you know it's kind of was interesting um to see kind of like the games that were played um but again uh shades of lost for me there was like a specific mm -hmm. episode that reminded me big time of lost um and I honestly sincerely cried at episode six. Whoa. I was so invested in a character that, you know, you know that, you know, you know the outcome. Like, there's only one person's going to make it out of this. And I just didn't know how it would, this would resolve itself. And the way it did, it like absolutely gutted me. I was so crushed because I so fell in love with this character. It was like one of my favorite characters I've seen in a long time in anything. Um, so. It's really well done. I, I really think if you guys, you know, even have a passing interest in it, it, it you could absolutely do worse than the show and absolutely stay away from the English dub. It's horrific. Uh, <laughs> definitely watch it with the English subtitles because um, I think you'll get a lot more out of it. So highest of the A's for uh, Squid Game. everyone this is jd from the in session film podcast each week we review the latest from hollywood california well yes brendan we also give top three lists okay yeah thanks again brendan additionally you can hear us talk other movie news trailers varying movie series or other interesting film related topics and even rants and raves of the week that's correct brendan on top of our main show every friday you can also hear our extra film podcasts good job brendan Thank you, J.D. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father, after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. 
Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? okay? That's what you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Okay, now it is time for another installment of Mark Herney's Criterion 101. Oh, hi, Mark. This is where Mark indulges us with his extensive love and knowledge of the Criterion collection. Mark, what happens when we put our hand in the Criterion box? Uh, hopefully you pull out a criterion and it doesn't hurt uh, because they don't make any bad movies. Only good ones. Uh, good to great. Eh, eh. Eh. That's right. We've talked about this before. Uh, you, you, you claim there's at least one bad criterion movie. I don't remember what it is, but uh, <laughs> I, I have yet to see it. At but. least one. OK, well, you're a little bit biased, Mark. <laughs> maybe maybe jellyfish eyes, but yeah. <laughs> So today, I'm not going to really impart any love or knowledge, but we are going to talk uh, at least a little bit about the, there's an upcoming sale. They just had a flash sale on their website, and starting in November, all the discs are 50% off. And so just, we're going to play a little game that we like to play uh, called Yay or Nay for Criterion. So there's um, a bunch of new stuff that is coming out soon, a lot of new releases, and I even wanted to give you guys the option to champion something that you think should be in the collection. And, of course, you have to give a good reason why it should be in the collection. So I will turn it over to you first, Harmano. Uh, what is a film that you that is in the collection or should be that you'd like to champion? Well, you sent us that link, um, kind of let us, letting us know some of the more uh, new releases, I guess, that are coming out next month. Yes. Um Am I mistaken? Did I see Mulholland Drive on there? It is. So that is the 4K release. It's already on Criterion oh. Blu-ray, but they're they're releasing it as a Criterion disc. But you're, of course, welcome to to champion it. No, no, I, I wasn't going to champion it. I, I I was kind of taken aback because I would have assumed that that film would have already been on the Criterion collection, but I forgot that they're doing uh, 4Ks now. So yeah, that makes sense. Right. Uh, no, the one that I saw that I immediately you know caught my eye was uh dick johnson is dead ah yes um because uh, have you seen that mark yes yeah i liked it a lot yeah um i think it's you know i don't know if you guys agree but i think it's a little bit of an under the radar film like mm. I, I think i watched it because tim recommended it basically yeah um hmm. i think i had heard of it but you know it wasn't really on my radar until i heard tim say that he really enjoyed it I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think it's a wonderful film and just a unique film in almost every way as far as documentaries go. And um, 
I was really happy. Like it's it's a type of film that I would champion if I didn't see that, you know, Criterion had already put it on its list, you know, and it it was it was kind of really made me happy that you know a film like that uh, might get more eyes on it because of a place like Criterion putting it out. So. Right. Yeah, I I was totally on board with that, and as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, absolutely, I'm going to talk about this one. As far as like, I'm really happy for uh, the filmmakers and and happy that Criterion took an interest in it. Yeah, excellent. I I agree. I thought it was one of the better films. I don't know if it quite made my top ten, but it was. I think it was like maybe number twelve last year. And agree, it's a it's a great film. Uh, they did actually champion her previous movie. Uh, that actually like even better called camera person. Um, I don't know if you've seen that Hermano, but that's, that's a really, really well done uh, documentary. It's cobbled together uh, of footage captured from her 25 year career as a documentary cinematographer uh, all together in, in a film. And it's, it's really interesting the way it juxtaposes together. And it, it's, it's, if, if you like unique documentaries, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. So I'd recommend that one as well. They they championed that back in 2016 when it came out, and I agree. I was very glad to see that uh, Dick Johnson is dead is uh, coming to the collection in a few months. So, yeah, great pick. How about you, Tim? What is your what are you going to champion today? Well, I was going to champion or at least highlight a, a release of theirs that's coming out in about a month, and that's uh, Menace to Society. That's a movie that you know, left an impact on me when I saw it when I was younger. Uh, uh, coming in the wave of uh, Boys in the Hood, and and this one kind of left an impact on me at the time. Uh, and I haven't seen, seen it in a long time, but it's probably something I would not mind picking up. However, I, I want to uh, go in a different direction. And <laughs> especially with a, a recent uh, theatrical release and uh, by a director who came out with a movie in 2016... That I I would like to champion a Criterion as as like a, a, a to make a future box set uh, for mm. you know how they have gotten some flack recently for not having enough minority or women filmmakers in their collection and I think that they're starting yes. to correct that you know I I mentioned Menace of Society. Uh, you mentioned Dick Donaldson is dead. Uh, even uh, the documentary Time that, that'll be coming out in January, um, and then yeah. uh, also with the piano by Campion. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, box set of uh, Melvin Van Pe- Peoples just right. came out uh, yes. late September. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to I want to throw a shout out to Julia Ducarneau uh, with Raw and uh, a movie I saw recently, Titan. And uh, just thinking the 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 way her career is uh, trajectory is at this point uh, with these two feature films, and you know she's had uh, two shorts uh, or no uh, one short uh, previously. Um, I, uh, I I can see her uh, being worthy of a box set, and uh, especially with these uh, feature films. So yeah, I would uh, I would want to champion, uh, you know those two films uh, and uh, Julia Dorcarneau uh, specifically. Especially, uh, mm. Have you had a chance to see Titan yet, Mark? I have. I, huh. I rewatched uh, Raw uh, just before it as well. Yeah. Uh, Titan's pretty wild. It's, it's something else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is something else. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, I like you know, where she's going in terms of body dysmorphia, gender identity, human yeah. connection, 
And, you know, you saw little bits of that in you know various forms in Raw in terms of connection and self and identity and, and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I think she certainly has specific themes that she works on uh, personally uh, in, in these films. And I'm real curious to see where she goes next. And uh, I would hope that Criterion uh, notices. Yeah, I, I it feels like she's really working towards maybe her third film just being that that true breakout. You know, she was popular. I, I, she gained a lot of popularity with Raw. Uh, and I, I, I don't know. I feel like Teton is kind of polarized people. I mean, it did at, at Cannes. There was there was some walkouts and there were standing ovations. Aren't there and always. I, I want the pump door. There always are. <laughs> You're right. It's It has to be done. But yeah, I, I and I, I enjoyed it quite a bit as well. And you can see the you know, the, you know, the, the meshing of the two, you know, the, and I, I agree. I think a third film, um, would be, uh, maybe her best. So have you, did you see Teton Hermano? I think you've seen raw, uh, but not. okay. Yeah. I've seen raw. I, I wasn't quite the fan, um, as much as it sounds like you guys were, I, I did enjoy it, but I, I think I had a different interpretation of it. And once you guys put forward, I think, other t- interpretations, I was like, eh, I don't like that movie as much. <laughs> well, that's a good good pick, Tim. I, I like uh, like where you're going with that. That's uh, She's definitely someone that um, is gaining in uh, notoriety for sure. I mean, if you win win the Palme d'Or at Cannes, um, your, your ticket is punched, uh, so to speak, I think. So. so the one I just wanted to mention and champion myself, it's a – um, one of my favorite horror discoveries of the the last few years, I had been on my list for some time, just got a Blu-ray upgrade from an existing DVD in the collection, um, and that is Onibaba. Uh, it's a film, um, Japanese film, kind of a, it, it's it's a horror film for sure, but um, I, th- I think it really is. It's more than just horror. Um, it has a lot of sexual energy, I think. Uh, and I think it has some really interesting ideas it's portraying about women um, in 1964, of course. But the film takes place much earlier uh, than that time frame. So fortunately, I don't have any notes about it from when I first saw it. I just remember it having a, a deep impact. And I, I think I'm going to rewatch it again this year. So that one um, gets my highest recommendation for uh, spooky movie month that's uh, oni baba by uh, kanado kanado shindo and that is criterion 
It's like existentialism slipping into nihilism. MovieMavericks.com This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Okay, let's talk about Dune. Father, I'd like to ask to join Duncan Idaho on a scout mission to Arrakis tomorrow. I've studied the Fremen language. I'd be an asset. Out of the question. You'll travel in a few weeks to Arrakis like the rest of us. I've been training my whole life. What is the point if I'm not allowed to you face some actual why, risk? Paul. You're the future of House Atreides. And grandfather fought bulls for sport. Yes. Look where that got him. I need you by my side. When we get to Arrakis, we'll face enormous danger. What danger? Fremen? The desert? Political danger. The great houses look to us for leadership. And this threatens the Emperor. By taking Arrakis from the Harkonnens and making it ours, he sets the stage for a war, which would weaken both houses. But if we hold firm and tap the true power of Arrakis, we could be stronger than ever. What does that mean? Mining spice, keeping the Fremen in their place? We'd be no better than Harkonnens. No. By making an alliance with the Fremen. That's what I've sent Duncan Idaho to arrange. Here on Caladan, we've ruled by air power and sea power. On Arrakis, we need to cultivate desert power. I want you sitting in on my council. Learn what I do. What if I'm not, Dad? Not what? The future of House Atreides. And just to warn people ahead of time, this will be a spoiler-filled discussion, so beware. The plot. The son of a noble family is entrusted with the protection of the most valuable asset and most vital element in the galaxy. Uh, the director, Denis Villeneuve. The actors, uh, Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Zendaya. Mm, really? Uh, and uh, <laughs> others, uh, like Oscar Isaac and, and other people too uh mark 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 i, I guess uh, where we should kick this off is uh what is your relationship with the the source material uh mm. david lynch's uh dune and um you know i guess denis villeneuve as a director uh, before mm. as you uh work your way into your thoughts on this movie so i i'm probably my 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 friend uh said that uh half jokingly that i'm the only one of his friends that's read all the dune books uh, one through six, which I have. I, I probably 10 years ago, I went through, started with one and went through the six Frank Herbert films. I even, or the Frank Herbert books. I even went back to, as some people may or may not know, his son uh, has written based on the notes from Frank Herbert uh, after he died, has written some prequel and sequel books. And I've read three of the sequels or two of the sequels and three of the prequels. Uh, they're not very good. They're just very, you know, plot driven, not very character driven. And so if that's your thing, they're a great read, but I, I do like better characters and, you know, kind of the philosophy, um, you know, the mystical aspects of what, uh, Frank Herbert has in his books. So, um, and big fan of the book. I hope to reread it. I think it's one of the, the greatest work I mean, to me. It's the best easily the best science fiction book. And, 
um, one of the best books that's that has been written. And as I understand, it was a bit of a sci-fi answer to Lord of the Rings. Um, I am still a big fan of the David Lynch Dune, the campiness and strangeness of it. Uh, I do enjoy quite a bit. I haven't gone back on that yet. I even um, you know have seen the and appreciate quite a bit the two. Uh, TV series from the Sci-Fi Channel that came out in 2000 and 2003, uh, Dune and Children of Dune. So I've had a pretty rich history with this this franchise, um, and going to frankly try to not really bring that into the discussion. I you know would like to just talk to about the movie on its own terms, you know, as much as possible. Mm. Um, and as far as Denis Villeneuve is concerned, I was very excited to hear that he was helming this um i i feel like he's this is kind of what he's been working towards uh and of course heard that with making films like arrival and blade blade runner 2049 you know he's been looking at dune for some time and he wanted to get those under his belt before uh he could you know make dune um and i i really enjoy a lot of the early villeneuve stuff too uh prisoners is good um the uh, enemy i like quite a bit um, so I, I've enjoyed everything in his uh, filmography so far. So and Dune is you know I, I don't want to say too much about it. I, I feel like I have a lot of thoughts, but usually I just expound a bunch of stuff and I, I kind of want to save it to, you know, um, play off of what you guys think as well. But um, I really love revisiting this universe. Uh, it's been a while, um, you know, since I read those books. Um, you know, like I said, 10 or 15 years. Uh, and it's a reminder to me going into this film uh, of what a spiritual experience it is, you know, living uh, within this this world. Um, I, I think this this Dune gets correct, the marriage of environment and people and really just how um, that environment um, and, you know, the people that uh, in that environment, the people that inhabit it, uh, how they inhabit it, uh, how they affect it. You know, when you think of the the worms in the desert and the Fremen in the desert and how you have the Harkonnens with uh, versus the Atreides as, you know, the caretakers of this place uh, and and the spice, you know, the fight for the spice and how the, the spice really affects this universe. I mean, you, you get into philosophy, ecolo ecology, um, you know, mysticism, there's a lot of economics in this. Uh, it's a really rich universe. And so uh, it was a, a really a pleasure to go back um, and, uh, you know, dig into Villeneuve's uh, vision of it. Um, I, I think, you know, other words, I'd kind of describe the Dune universe and this film are, I think it's uh, ethereal. Uh, it's an unforgiving universe. I, I think you get that some, and there may be some people that say that this film is too cold. I've heard, I've heard that a bit. Um, and I, I can certainly, certainly see that. Um, but I, I think that's what this, you know, this, this world is. Um, it's a, the Dune universe, it's, it's bombastic, but it's a, it's a used universe. Um, kind of reminds me of Star Wars in that way. Um, so, and yeah, I, I feel like I have a lot more thoughts, but I kind of like to hear what you guys uh, think first. Well, Mark, did you see this in the theater? Yes, I saw this in the theater, uh, in 2d and I've also rewatched it last night on HBO max. So I could see, have it with subtitles because there were some, um, you know, some dialogue that I missed that was whispered and whatnot. You say in 2d was it offered in 3d? 
It was. Oh, I just geez. I couldn't get to a 3D showing. Yeah, well, now why would you want to? Yeah, yikes. Um, well, I I do I do plan to see it this weekend in 3D because the I've heard IMAX and 3D are really great presentations. It was filmed about 80 percent in IMAX, and I hear that the 3D is really good. So hmm. I'm actually hoping to get back to it. Fair enough. Uh, Hermano, I guess I would uh, levy the same questions towards you. Well, I'll just say right away, I absolutely do not have uh, the same experience as Mark. I've never read any of the books. The only familiarity I have with Dune is the David Lynch film that I think I've seen twice and probably not in like 15 plus years. (laughs) Um, So I, I was pretty much going in, you know, only really being excited about Denis Villeneuve directing it because I've been a fan of all his films up to this point. So for, for the most part, he's batting a thousand. Um, that being said, I guess I'll make a comparison. Like I like my sci-fi a little more adventurous. <laughs> uh, I feel like I would put this in the same category of sci-fi as like something like Star Trek, which I'm not a big fan of where the basic premise um, is more about dealing with things like politics or exp- the actual uh, exploration of space, like Star Trek is. Uh, and then, of course, you meet like characters in Star Trek, and there's like you know culture clashes and things like that. And I don't get into that stuff as much because it feels too close to just kind of real life things that I just feel like it's not as much as an escape as I'm seeing someone battle with lightsabers or you know shooting you know laser guns or whatever um so that's not to take away from the film though because i did enjoy the film i think Denis Villeneuve made a great film but again it's just weird it's like a weird um a weird thing for me where like i'm enjoying the filmmaking of it but not so much the subject matter of it and I also really could not be get behind too many of the characters. I felt like a lot of them were just kind of blank slates for me. Mm. Um, like, like I was saying how I fell in love with the characters on something like Squid Game, which is not a fair comparison because it's like nine episodes. You spend a lot more time with them. But it's also a fact that this feels like the first act, maybe slightly into the second act of a normal film. So I didn't feel like I watched the complete film. I feel like I watched, so, like it says in the beginning, a, pr- a part one. Yeah, right. Did you, <laughs> um, that, did, did you know going into this movie that it was uh, definitely a first half, a, a part one of, of a series or something? I had not heard of that, but apparently people knew it. And I was like, I don't remember the marketing really putting that out, no. out there. It's like, hey, this is a first in a trilogy or, or a... You know, there's going to be a sequel. We're going to wrap up the story or whatever. I don't recall that at all. Yeah, no, the, the marketing um, clearly avoided that. Uh, but, you know, I looking back, I think I had heard rumblings of, oh, hey, this is, you know, the, the first part in a, in a larger story, essentially. You know, without being yeah. v- uh, very specific. And I know it's a big story. I knew I was aware that there were a lot of books. And I was aware that, you know, this is one of those properties that people consider... P- maybe unfilmable because of just how dense it is mm-hmm. and how much story there is. It's hard to pack it into a single film. And I, I don't know. I, I don't really, I didn't really have any expectations for it because again, I'm not as familiar with the series as Mark is, but I think part of it for me too, is that I feel like this, and I know the books came out in what Mark, like early sixties or mid sixties. Yeah. Sixties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
I just feel like this story just feels dated to me. Like I've seen so many like, you know, oh, this this person is the one or, you know, reluctant hero or there's something special about this character. And he's, you know, he's he's a bigger part of this story. And, you know, I just feel like that whole thing has been done like a million times where it just felt so dated for me on that level. As far as the story, it just felt very familiar, something I'd seen a million times before. So on that level, too, I was just kind of like, OK, you know, I'm, I'm just watching another one of these films. But, you know, when the film shines, I liked the the score. The score is really bombastic. I mean, that's pretty much what I expected from uh, Hans Zimmer. Uh, Hans Zimmer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the scale. I think he captured the scale of everything really well. Like the things within the film looked sufficiently huge. <laughs> like that that big whatever tunnel or thing that was floating in space looked massive. Mm. Uh, the, the ship's landing at times, uh, you know, with the backdrop of people looked massive. Um, I think in the worms, of course, the worms too. Like I was like, oh my God, like the sheer, you know, awe of these worms, like just seeing the sand ripple and uh, seeing them pop out eventually. Like it was, it was incredible. Like, you know, it's a, it's a definitely this spectacle there, but for me, it just kind of fell a little bit, um, off to the side with like a lot of the other aspects of the film. And again, it's tough. Like I may completely come around when I see the rest, how the story wraps up. But as for what I saw, I was just, I was like, all right, you know, I've seen, I've seen this before. It's, it's not the worst thing. It's also not, I don't think I'm going to be as high as a lot of other people. Yeah. Probably in between the two of you, you know, and you know, it's regarding my history with this. I, I've really like no history. I, I I knew that it was based on a, a book. I didn't know that it was based on six books. Jesus, um, and I had never seen the David Lynch film. Uh, just something that never crossed uh, my path. Uh, so this was essentially my first uh, encounter with uh, with Dune uh, and the material of it, and and. You know, the first and foremost thing that got me excited about this was the fact that Denis Villeneuve was making it because I knew mm. from the get go that no matter what he was doing and how he was going to tackle it, it was going to be good. It was going to be interesting. Uh, and despite my relative reservations uh, of his previous film, Blade Runner 2049, which I think is more on me as as the viewer, because it's, you know, even the Ridley Scott movie is not something that particularly interests me. I respect it more than I enjoy it, and I I understand uh, that film's place in science fiction history, you know, and in filmmaking. Um, and I, the, the biggest credit I can give to D Denis Villeneuve for Blade Runner 2049 is perfectly capturing the tone and essence of the original film which makes it feel like an honest and true uh, continuous story uh, in that same universe. Uh, and it's a marvel to look at, and it's a marvel of world building, and uh, he did a great job with the material. It's just something that I don't connect to. Uh, I respect a lot, and I put it in his lower part of his filmography for that reason. Uh, so that's a me thing. It's, it's very much a me thing. And there is no denying that he is one of today's most visionary directors. He has absolute command over everything that is on screen. He, his ability to craft these believable worlds and settings is, is remarkable. You know, there's a scope to, of this film that you guys have said. It is breathtaking. And 
it's it's fascinating that he's able to make such a wide variety of what is you know when you break it down really silly elements they work really well within the context of the film i and honestly i cannot think of anyone else who would be able to make this very specific movie it, it the i it, 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 it this large scale you know i'm sure that if you if somebody has wants to focus on a smaller scale film in this universe that it's possible but at this grand scale i cannot think of any other director that is suited for this material um but like blade runner 2049 i'm left at kind of an arm's distance you know there's like an emotional disconnect for me where the the film seems more f- focused on world building and setting a certain mood than actual character development um and and i i don't know it, it it's something that when it was finished i certainly said to myself i really would not mind revisiting this i really would like to rewatch this uh it, it be, you know and i put it higher than blade runner 2049 i think simply because it's it's a bit more interesting to me uh in terms of the world you know because it's more expansive too you know 2049 is is pretty focused on uh location mm. and characters uh this one you know there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot going on and this movie does not hide from the exposition especially in the beginning uh it it goes out of its way to introduce new ways to in, uh, info dump <laughs> Uh, which I respect in a way, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make it, you know, monotonous or anything like that. Uh, but you know, you have people talking, you have, uh, um, you know, this information via computer display or whatever that he's, he's, uh, he's watching, you know, like this historical, uh, like this national geographic type of thing of the area that he's watching, you know, on this projection, and um yeah you know it's it, it, there's a lot of really great world building elements uh that is integrated with the the dialogue dumps and i appreciate that um and you know i i get that this book like you said of, has, was written in the 60s but it's amazing how many pieces of the ideas within this this content is lift you know is lifted or you is seen in other science fiction and, and fantasy films in the seventies and onwards, you know, you mentioned star Wars. There's a lot right. of star Wars in this and it's, a, it, yeah, it's amazing how much Lucas took from this material. <laughs> um, yeah. So. I mean, he, he, you can think of, of uh, Paul Atreides as a, as a, you know, it's the reluctant hero uh, and the same age, except he's kind of less, less golly gee willikers uh, about it. I, you know, to an extent, um, yeah, just a very similar character. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, Mark, what do you think about the performances in this movie? I, I, it, it's interesting. I think the, the cast, the name of the cast is phenomenal. Uh, and I think they do shine overall. Um, I, I think when you look at that group of, of, of cast members, I can't think of any cast better, uh, especially of, of that size and scale. Um, and I, you know, knew that going in, I've tried to, I didn't, I haven't watched, haven't watched the trailer, still haven't, and he didn't know anything else really going in. But I, I do think that the seasoned actors certainly outshine the young ones, and maybe that's not fair, but, you know, that's kind of the way it it goes. I think my one of my favorite scenes was the introduction of Javier Bardem as Stilgar, yes. the scene where, he, you know, he spits. Um, he just, 
uh, he just owns that scene. Uh, and he's, he's he's a wonderful actor anyway. Um, not quite as good, I think, in, in the later scene that he's in. But And you do get, there is some humor in this film, too. There's not a lot, but there's a little bit with Jason Momoa that, again, I, I don't know if it, it truly works. Um, I, I've heard some people kind of poo on Momoa. I, I think he's probably one of the the weaker, but I think when, when there are certain shots where you see him you know, with the the Fremen that he absolutely works um, as that character of uh, Duncan Idaho. I felt the same as with Josh Brolin. I thought he was pretty strong. There's there's the occasional moment that don't, you know, doesn't quite work. But I, I think he's very strong as the, um, you know, the weapons master, um, Gurney Halleck. Uh, but I, I think definitely the, the standouts are Oscar Isaac, Rebecca Ferguson, Javier Bardem and um, Stellan Skarsgård. I'd even realize I'd forgotten he was in this film and I didn't recognize him as the Baron at first um, through all that makeup. But, um, you know, he, he gives his best Colonel Kurtz uh, yes. performance. <laughs> I mean, it's the most obvious homage to Apocalypse Now. Right, right, yeah. right. But yeah. it's, yeah, it's, and, and he's a, I think there's there's going to be more there. I mean, he's a he's a brutal character and I think there's, uh, he's de- depicted even as even more disgusting in the Dune version, um, and I, I think he's. I think there's going to be be more there, but um, I mean, I, Oscar Isaac as Duke Leto, uh, Rebecca Ferguson, I think is is really excellent. Um, you know, I, I think she kind of transcends what I've seen other uh, portrayals of Lady Jessica Atreides, who's really one of the standout characters, uh, especially in this first part of yes. the uh, the saga. I, so I agree. Re- Rebecca um, Ferguson is, is I think, the standout in this movie. She's she's really uh, holds her own and is entertaining and is, is just uh, I, I just like her her presence. Um, yeah. I, you know, oh, and, and probably my my favorite. I, along with Javier Bardem as Stilgar, my favorite character in two scenes is uh, Charlotte Rampling as Rever, Rev, as the Reverend Mother. She is, yeah. she is tremendous. Yeah, I mean, even the 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 voices, the, the utilizing the specific voice is just like the Force, you know, and and it's it's yeah. so interesting how many things seem familiar. Um, you know, I, yeah. I, I do like a number of the performances here, but some of the casting makes me question, you know, like even Timothy Chalamet, like, you know, he's just another white savior, right? And mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you have Chang Chen who's cast as this doctor, and he's he's very much the the stereotypical mystical Asian healer. And I'm like, did they have to go this route? Did they have to I'm not sure how True, that is uh, that character is to the source material, but either way, I'm just like it. It, it just doesn't seem, I don't know, appropriate for today. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the the thing I would say to that is there is a, a change in that character uh, that maybe can you know change that that view of it. But I, I certainly understand what you're saying. They they did change uh, Doctor Liet Kynes is played by Sharon Duncan Brewster. And uh, in in the other you know the book and all the other materials that is played by a white man. Okay. Um, so having a, a black woman is a a, a very you know um, smart move I think mm-hmm. in that case. But yeah, I mean the the character is the the cast is um, and the characters as they were originally written are uh, probably very white. I mean we don't know what color they are. So they they made some steps. Uh, oh, and uh, the character of Jamis 
Jamis, um, the one that uh, challenges um, right. Stilgar and right. fights uh, Atre- Paul Atreides uh, also. Um, and th- yeah, there's there's a few others, but that's a, that's a pretty prominent, um, you know, that's kind of the climax of the film, really, that that battle um, with uh, Jamis and uh, Paul Atreides. So. Uh, Hermano, what, what did you think about the casting and performances here? Um, well, I guess I'll ask Mark a question first. Um, I know, I know you, I don't know how much you get from the book, but like, how is Timothy Chalamet's character described in the book? Is it supposed to be like a younger kid? Um, it's, it's been a while. And of course I think more of like, you know, I like I have more familiarity with, uh, Dune, but I think he is considered, he's certainly a teenager, um if that if that makes sense okay because so. I, I was i was interested in why they cast him because he does kind of play young um like he does i think he's he looks younger than he actually is i he looks kind of slight too so yeah. I, I don't know if that lends itself to like he's he's a bit younger um but i don't know if i was completely sold on his character because i do remember kyle mclaughlin playing the exact same role in david lynch's and i feel like like in David Lynch's, obviously, Comic Lockin looks like he's almost thirty or something. Like in this one, Timothy right. Chalamet looks like he could be fifteen. <laughs> uh, so it's it's weird. Like I didn't know if David Lynch just was so in love with Comic Lockin. He's like, I'm gonna cast you, even though you're supposed to be twelve or whatever. Um, right. But as far as the performances go, uh, his was fine. But again, I, I, he kind of felt blank to me, like a kind of nothing character. I don't know if the you know obviously there's probably more to come, but. This all, like Tim's been saying, it just felt like setup. Like I didn't get enough of him to to really judge like a performance necessarily. Um, as far as like everyone else, Jason Moe is kind of doing a Jason Moe performance. Josh Brolin is doing a Josh Brolin performance. Rebecca Ferguson, I think, stood out. I think I agree with you guys that she was probably the standout. She had kind of the most kind of emotional arc in such a short time. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. But you know, um, Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah, I agree. He's doing kind of Marlon Brando there, but um, I think you know, I don't know. I, I kind of on on the fence with him because it, it came off a little bit um, kind of cliche, like you know, just kind of the so obvious this guy is evil and bad, uh, you know that you don't even almost need him to do anything. Like he literally decapitates someone in this film, and I'm like, yeah. I expect you to do something like that. Like you really didn't even have to do that. I know you're a piece of shit. Mm. Um, yeah, I didn't but, quite get that. Yeah. I, I kind of needed those scenes. Like, I mean, I know the character, but um, I, I felt like he didn't seem quite as, you know, immediately evil to me. Um, so I don't know. Well, I, I feel like just in the way that, you know, like he's presented with like, Hey, don't kill these two people. Okay. I won't. But I'll oh, leave him in the desert. <laughs> but I, <laughs> right. I had nothing to do with it if the desert kills them. <laughs> um, so right. yeah, in that way, I was like, that's all I really needed. He, he's, he came off more um, Lex Luthor in that way, where you know he's just mm. scheming. He's a schemer, and I didn't really need him yeah. to get his hands dirty. Let, let me ask you something about you know some of the the, the world building technology wise and stuff like that. You know, I, I like mm. a lot of. You know what we see here, and the and like the ships and and the the world building again. But you know, there's this scene where Chalamet and Brolin, you know, spar with, and it's used to show the technology of the shields. 
And I don't think that was necessary. I'm like, it, because it seemed like such an obvious setup for something that's going to come into play later. And I don't know if it was it was needed to spend that five minutes, you know, showing the sparring match and detailing how the shields work when it could have come across essentially the same way in within the context of future actions. And mm. it just, I don't know, it's weird. But, you know, I, one thing that I really like is how how the shields are, u, they're uniform for everything, even even the ships and the, the structures. Ships, yeah. So you have the this, uh, you know, carpet bombing happening, and it shows these small, like, drilling bombs going slowly through the shield. And I'm like, that's really cool. And And you didn't... You didn't need that previous thing with them sparring in order for me to get that. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just well, and they, they, I think it's a line in the in the other films in the book, but you know the, where they they have to say that the slow blade penetrates the shield. I, I guess the one thing I would say to counter to some extent, and the reason I I like that scene is I I've always appreciated that scene for introducing the shields in a you know, kind of non-confrontational uh, training way, but it also shows that Paul has skill, um, you know, and to like Hermano's point the, of Paul being a, a slight character, uh, you can see that he's been trained by someone like Gurney Halleck for years. And so, you know, it, it pays off later um, in the in the film when he's able to, we're in spoilers, defeat um, Jamis, who is a, you know, seems like a much, tougher character and someone that should be able to beat him. So I, I do think it helps set that up. See, and also I'm not sure that there's enough with Chalamet as a character for me to connect with his emotional turmoil, I guess, after defeating him in that fight at the end mm. uh, and, and seeing how it, I guess they want me to un- understand like, he's like, Oh, what well, is it worth this? Is this one life worth it for, uh, the future of the many, you know what I mean? And, and I, I, I'm not sure I got that. Uh, did, did you? Mm. Yeah, I, I didn't, I'm not sure if I quite got that as well. I mean, we're, we're told that, you know, Paul is trying to get him to yield cause he's never, never killed a person. But, um, yeah, I, I think there's, you know, and you have the, the scene in the tent where he's, um, conflicted and, you know, saying it's not one of the stronger moments, I think, um, it's kind of a tough scene. I, I, I like parts of it and not others where he's, he's saying, you know, you, you've turned me into a freak with my, with this training, this, this Bene Gesserit training. Um, but I, I did think that he was especially strong in the, um, giving the Timothy Chalamet glare in, uh, the scene with the pain box, um, mm. was, was pretty, particularly effective for him. So he was, yeah, I, I think he was kind of, um, hit or miss. I, I lean towards him being a, a stronger character and, you know, probably fitting the, the age, um, of what I believe the character is, is normally going to be. And you kind of set up, um, you know, the, again, the reluctant hero for, you know, for what's to come. Uh, yeah, the, the, the ending really makes it seem like a, um, like the, the fellowship of the ring type of ending where, mm. <laughs> you know, there, there's, like you said, there's more to come, uh, but I'm not sure if the tone of the rest of the film kind of earned that moment where, where right. it just kind of, 
kind of leaves you hanging, you know? It's yeah, I, I kind of like, I mean, I was fine with, with where it ended. I was wondering where it was going to be and figured it would be somewhere at the point where they'd met the the Fremen. Um, I do wish they could have somehow just left out this, the line that says, you know, this is only a beginning, um, you know, handled that somehow differently. That's what, uh, you know, Chani says, the Zendaya character, but. I was glad you guys reminded me of the um, the shields. Mm. Um, Mark, you you probably have the answer to this, but what was the point of them? <laughs> I it's thought there was some sort of protective aspect to them, but right, people. Yeah, I mean, it's, them it's and like, they still get killed easily. Right, it's 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 different. I I think a lot of it goes back to some of the lore, but and it gets back to one of one of the things I love about this universe is that there are little to no guns it's all knives and sword play uh which i think is is wonderful um and some of the the choreography especially early on in that scene where they you have the atreides and the harkonnen and the sardaukar it all all um you know facing off against each other with knives and swords but this the i think the you know the the shields are really to protect from bullets um and from those strong blows you're able to kind of take those on and the only way that you can get hurt is with, by, you know, like they say, the slow blade. Something slow can can actually penetrate the shield. So it's not. It's kind of like it, you, you think of it like uh, maybe um, knight armor. You know, it's not infallible. You can still get hurt, uh, but it certainly can can take that uh, that heavy blow. Uh, That's all. Yeah, even the you know, it's just some of the technology that's introduced here, like this um, insect. Uh, assassin or whatever that's supposed to mm. come in and, and I'm not even sure really how Chalamet avoided all of that uh, when he was hiding in the projection or something like that I, I, I don't know it was never really clear to me you know how that worked um, yeah, see, they probably could have done that better because it's all it's based on movement. So oh. and, and then as soon as, you know, someone enters the room, then it goes towards um, that person. So it's like, yeah, it's like the T-Rex. It's all based on movement. Oh, I never even <laughs> picked up on that, that it moved when that person opened the door. Right. Oh, right. my gosh. See, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting how much of a relatively mixed bag this movie is uh, in terms of its storytelling, I think, which is odd to me because it's obviously one of, of Villeneuve's strongest assets is storytelling. And, and you know, apparently he is very you know, close and connected to this book series and, and as like you right. said, has wanted to, to tell the story for a long time. So, you know, maybe it's just hard for him to divorce, you know, himself, you know, enough to properly have that balance of storytelling yeah. and world building and, and that, that connection, like he's saying, you know, how much he wants to get across here. Uh, but right. I mean, overall, yeah, I, I, I think he still did a great job, <laughs> but Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of the the um, you know you mentioned some of the the production design. I thought the the ornithopters were a, a wonderful design, uh, having them look like. A, and I, I don't think I've seen them look like that, but you know, look like a uh, a dragonfly. Um, Wasn't there is, one of the it, Star Wars prequels that had like uh, vehicles like that? Uh, pretty oh, sure. Oh, I don't know. I don't pretty remember. sure I saw something like that. Maybe in uh, Kashyyyk uh, in Episode. Two, oh two yeah, no, I think you're right. Yeah, episode two or three had something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Huh. Yeah. Uh, all right. Anything else to mention before we get into grades? Are we good? Uh, you mentioned the score. I've heard some some poor things against that, saying that it's it's a lot of score. 
Um, I, I think it's great. I, I think it's one that I can actually listen to on its own. And, and like you said, it's very Hans Zimmer. I, it's a lot of Johan Johansson in it as well, hmm. I think. You know, very loud, lots of gongs. Um, and I just love the the whole, like, the sound of it is like you keep hearing this motif of a board creaking like a door opening. Um, very pronounced over the credits, but almost maybe like a, the sound of a very old page turning in a book or something like that. I just, I haven't heard something like that in a score before. I thought that you, was you know um, what I, impressive. You know what I miss? You know, it, Hans Zimmer is, uh, has probably already reached this point, you know, it reaches point of self-parody. Mm. Uh, but, you know, it, I think it goes to show how great of a composer John Williams has been. You know, when you think of major films of his, especially with Spielberg and those those classical scores, in which you know and understand, you can pick up, you can even hum the the score to Star Wars, to Jurassic Park, some recent epics. I'm not sure there's scores that you can hum as well. They're not as memorable, mm. and and I, I just you know, I I think that it might have suited this film nicely to have a moment of calm, at least, with a a, a rather iconic score. That mm, a theme. Yeah, you know, a theme, exactly. Yeah. Yes, a theme. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, Yeah, it was one of the things I had in my notes is I, I, I could, and maybe it's there, but I, I think you're right. I don't think it is kind of like, you know, Star Wars used to have um, themes. And even, even going back to Lord of the Rings, I mean, that's one of the things that... Um, Howard Shore got very right was that score. I mean, that was one of, to me, one of the most iconic scores since Star Wars. Right. And very hummable. So, right. yeah. Yeah. Good point. Uh, okay. Uh, let's, I mean, like, does this, you know, as of this record, and thankfully yesterday they announced, uh, the studio announced right. that they're going to uh, have a part two by 2023, I think it is. Um, which is something that they were hedging their bets on as a combination of box office and interest. And, and I don't know, uh, I wasn't too happy with uh, Warner Brothers, uh, one of the, their leads' is a take on viewership on HBO Max and stuff like that. Uh, but thankfully, uh, they're, they're going to be continuing the story. Uh, so this, did this leave you off? I'm like, oh, I really want to see where this continues. So what about you, Hermano? Did, did it leave you off in that, in that mode? Um, yeah, I mean, there was enough, it was all, like I said, it's all set up. So like, yeah, it kind of makes you be like, Hey, uh, <laughs> how does this resolve? Like it kind of, it's kind of like a cliffhanger on a, a series where you have to wait till next season to see how it resolves, you know? So in a, in a way, yeah, but I don't know, like when is this supposed to come out? Like two years from now? Right. I don't know if my interest will yeah. hold that long. <laughs> Maybe even three, but see, that... yeah, I'm, I'm glad he, I'm glad he didn't stretch it to three movies like The Hobbit that Peter Jackson did. Right, right, right. That was too much. Hermano, it's interesting you say that, like it's two years from now and your interest, like, like is, is that the, where we are as a uh, consumer society nowadays, where if you don't have it within less than a year, then, then your interest isn't, isn't going to be held. No, I, I I was just trying to compare it to things that shot back to back. Oh, sure. And the release schedule is usually like a couple, maybe six months apart. Right. Like, it's weird that they didn't just shoot it this all like Lord of the Rings style, like shoot all, you know, three or whatever. Was it all, wasn't it all three? They shot basically yes. back to back to back. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Every yeah, year. Like, and that is three films and they're, they're massive. Like, I, I know Dune is also another massive series, but I don't see why they couldn't have shot 
it looks like what they would, would maybe have to shoot another two and a half hour film. Yeah. You know, like I, I just feel like Dang, why wait yeah. make us wait? It, it's it feels like it felt like a business decision from the studio. Like you, like Tim said, like they weren't yeah, even sure if this was gonna make money. They were probably antsy because Blade Runner didn't exactly blow people's doors off. So uh, I get yeah. that as far as like a financial decision, but as a creative one, it, it's weird. Yeah, I, I think the you know I mean it it's been this this property has been changed hands a few times and i i think you had the setup there with the success of a lord of the rings and a game of thrones that this was going to happen either as a tv show or, or as a movie and it's certainly disappointing that they couldn't get behind it but I, on the other hand i i get it you know especially with uh with covid you know they the studios have to be really careful uh right now with what they they back and where they can they, they put their money because you know are they going to make their money back in um ticket sales and, and streaming so it's it's unfortunate i wish they could have gone lord of the rings but i th on the other hand i also felt like um the lord of the rings movies slightly were a little bit of diminishing returns you could almost see that people were tired and you know just trying to get it done and i think their best work was done you know in uh, the fellowship of the ring so you know maybe with that extra time we'll just get that um the conclusion that we you know that we want uh, okay, let's get into grades, Mark. So this film, I mean, I, I one thing I, I do like the fact, and I, I saw someone say this, and I, I I felt it myself. I think this is a bit of an art house movie uh, wrapped up in a blockbuster with the pacing. It's very heady. Um, many points are, are are made without dialogue, and of course there is some exposition. So I, I do like that, um, and I, I was hoping for an orgasmic experience like I had with the fellowship of the ring, um, for Lord of the Rings. I mean, that, that to me was, was, uh, you know, chef's kiss, but this is not quite there, but it, it was still the religious experience that I had hoped for. So, um, I've been waffling between, uh, an a minus and an a, I've seen it a couple times, so I'm just going to give it a, uh, an a, I, I was left at a little bit of an arm's distance. So, I don't uh, appreciate this as much as Villeneuve's earlier work, which I think is his better work because they're smaller and more personal. Even something like Arrival is, you know, bigger in scale, but it's still focused on pretty much an individual and her journey. And I think when he has that focus and is able to, you know, uh, have us connect with a singular story, uh, a singular person. Think Polytechnique, Ansande, Arrival, Enemy, Sicario, it, I guess even Prisoners uh, to an extent. Uh, those are the movies that I think are his forte. Uh, and when you have something of such a huge scale, then uh, it, it, it leaves me a little bit of a disconnect. Now, granted, again, I can't think of another filmmaker who creates something like this, and I would certainly would not want to put this in the hands of Christopher Nolan, because when you talk about personal connection, that's the last thing he's interested in. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, but still, I, I think the world building and, and structure of this is, is pretty fascinating, uh, and I am curious as to where it goes. So uh, this is a solid B-plus for me, I think. Uh, Hermano? Uh, I think I'm going to go with a B. Uh, again, like I said, it, it doesn't feel like I watched an entire film. Uh, it may 
you know, once I watch them both and I the the story as a whole, I may like it more overall. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know. I I I kind of agree with Tim. Like, I feel like the bigger Villeneuve is going with his films, it's like the most lukewarm I've been on him overall. Like, I loved Enemy. I loved all his early stuff. Um, even Arrive up to Arrival, I was still really on board. I thought it was incredible. But then Blade Runner 2049, no, I liked it, you know, for what it is, trying to follow up this, like, classic from the 80s. Uh, but I got to admit, like, this is the most I've been worried about him as a filmmaker. Like, mm. I, I don't like this direction. I, I don't know that he, you know, how often does a director make films this big and then they go back and make something small like Polytechnique? You know what I mean? Like, I just yeah. feel like once you're in this space, it's it's really hard to go away from it. So, I don't know, just a B for now. Christopher uh, Nolan's not making following anymore, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, all right. That does it for this episode of the First Time Watchers podcast. Donate via patreon.com slash first time watchers or buy stuff at zazzle.com slash first time watchers. Our dearly departed Wally would say something like uh, follow us on Twitter at 1st time watchers. Or you can write to us at our email, first time watchers at gmail.com. Uh, download our episodes in Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. We uh, please leave a review because we love feedback. If you have any, su- have any suggestions of movies for us to watch, please send a tweet or an email. Speaking of suggestions, let's recommend a movie. Uh, Mark. Well, firstly, I'd like to say I was uh, poo-pooing the In Session Film Podcast for their long review of Dune. Uh, love you guys. Uh, great job. Boo. And I'd like to <laughs> I'd like to recommend um, something that I, again is probably under the radar for a lot of people. Um, the sci-fi channel miniseries actually from 2003, the follow-up children of Dune is, uh, excellent. It holds a 7.4 audience score. And so it's actually higher than the 2000 miniseries, uh, that is a 7.0, uh, so that the original miniseries is based on the first book and children of Dune is actually based on books two and three. Um, and it's, it's excellent. I mean, if you can get past, of course, some of the, you know, TV budget special effects, uh, it's great. I, I don't know if I would, you know, dive into this now, unless you have, you know, the story you've seen the other movies. Um, I mean, if you've seen Lynch's Dune, I think it's fine to dig into this, but, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's really well done. I recommend it. I mean, you look at, a few stars in the cast. You've got James McAvoy, Susan Sarandon, and Alice Kriege uh, are all in it. And uh, McAvoy is one of the main characters and certainly a standout. So um, when you get a chance, it's on DVD. I'm sure you can find it at your your library, Children of Dune. Uh, so Timothy Chalamet, I think his first real role that he got truly noticed in was in 26, 2017, in a movie that I will always champion, uh, I will always take the opportunity to say that this is a perfect movie. And it's uh, written, <laughs> and, written and directed by Greta Gerwig, and it is Lady Bird, uh, starring Saoirse Ronan and uh, Laurie Metcalf, who I believe got a very deserving Oscar nomination. And uh, Tracy Letts uh, shows up in, in here, and, and Lucas Hedges, uh, who has a remarkable small performance in ARC. And, uh, and and uh, Beanie Feldstein is in this as uh, Saoirse Ronan's best friend. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful, perfect, perfect small film. Uh, Lady Bird. Talk about going from a big movie to a sm- small movie. Nice exactly. work, Tim. Exactly. Uh, Hermano. I'm just going to echo what I said earlier. Watch Squid Game. It's really good. <laughs> hmm. 
love the characters in that. Unlike Dune, where I don't remember anybody's name. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're kind of hard to remember. They're hard because they're. I mean, other than Paul, I mean, there's a lot of a trade. Like, what are what are these names? Duncan there's Idaho. Come on, Duncan stuff. Idaho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. I pr- really appreciate the invite, uh, and uh, you know, love talking about uh, Dune. So, thank you. Uh, the next time you join us will be next year when we discuss our top five of 2021. All right. Yeah. Well, this might be on it. So yeah. Oh yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I I would not be surprised if this. I was going to ask you. Yeah. If you can uh, envision <laughs> yeah, it's, this. It's definitely in the top five uh, right now for sure. Uh, yeah. Not so much for me. Uh, not so much. Uh, <laughs> so uh, where can people find you online? Uh, sometimes on the Twitter at Mark Kearney H U R N E and uh, Letterboxed. Excellent. Uh, stay tuned for our next episode. Uh, we will be discussing the 1988 film, The Beast of War. That's the first time watchers podcast because we like to watch. Well, hello there. How are you? Um, I'm spiced up. How are you? Spiced up. Hell yeah. Yeah, I've been smoking it. I've been snorting it. I've been, well, maybe I should save this for the podcast. But... Mm, maybe you should. Mm. Maybe. Maybe mm. indeed. Sorry, I, I do this to you every time. Like, I get on Skype, and then uh, I leave my desk briefly it's while fine. it's booting up. So, I'm, you... I'm... <laughs> I'm you always worried. call me, and I always miss it's you. It's okay, Mark. You got things to do. You got places to go. You got. I do. You know, busy guy. Yes, you know, yes. but I I do need my Tim Hermano and Walter time as well. So here we are. Well, no Walter tonight. Oh, he's in what? the he's in the midst of his move. Uh, well, he's okay. going to be. I think he's leaving tonight. Maybe tomorrow. I think. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was. That was one of my questions. Was where Walter was in his move. So he is. In the throes of it, in the thick of it, huh? He really is. Hmm. That's cool. I'm glad it happened. I, I was a little concerned with, you know, hurricanes and other things going on, so. Yeah, I think there was a slight delay uh, because of uh, the weather down there, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah, other than that, it seems like everything uh, went pretty smoothly, so. Happening now. Good. Yeah. Good, good, good. What about yourself? You doing all right? You doing okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm hanging in there. I uh, I'll I'll talk about film festival in uh, yay or nay, uh, mm-hmm. and trying to get some exercise in. I play ball golf and disc golf as much as I can. What, what was that first one? Exercise, ball golf. Ball golf. Yeah, well, you know, I could just say golf. Oh, regular golf. <laughs> yeah, regular golf <laughs> like, and uh, disc golf. So. <laughs> oh, disc golf. That's funny. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, disc golf is like frisbee, right? Frisbee golf. Yes. Yeah. With yep. and the the goals are the are these like they have like these chains on them, right? And they're above ground. Yep. yep it's a basket that you basically right. put in the ground, right. you know, with some cement, 
and it sits up a little bit and it's got this kind of round basket. Somebody I know, and, somebody I yeah. know their next door neighbor has one of those in their backyard. Oh, okay. And I've yeah. seen him practice occasionally. Practicing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I have one like that, but it's, you know, it's like portable. So I don't leave it up. I just, you know, put it up when it's time. And Interesting. Yeah. So Interesting. it's yeah, portable game. We, it's, it's, from what I hear, it's one of the fastest growing sports, you know, and, and, and regular golf uh, increased in popularity due to COVID, you know, it was seen as a COVID safe sport. And I think disc golf was already getting more popular. And I think even more so because it is also, you know, COVID safe. How long have you been doing disc golf? I'm sorry? How long have you been doing disc golf? Um, I played it once years ago. I would say I started uh, two, uh, three years ago, probably like pretty heavily because I, there's a new course uh, that opened near me. A uh, uh, Eagle Scout put it in, so I could walk down the road and play hmm. disc golf. So it's a, I find it a, a really nice way to. I mean, you a lot of it's in the woods, not all of it, but it's an easy way to get steps in, um, and actually do something. You know, I'm not I'm not huge on exercise for exercise sake. Hmm. You know, I like to like watch movies or watch football or. You know, if I exercise at home, but if I'm golf golfing, then um, it's a it's a good time. It doesn't cost much. You, most courses are free, and the only cost is to buy the discs. You know, so that's fun. It sounds like fun. You do you do it with uh, other people? Most of the time, yeah. My son plays a little. I have a, a a local group that gets together and does that quite a bit. So, yeah. Look at you, you being to... social and active and shit like exactly. that. What is that? I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's uh, some people say it's like the only sport that you can really uh, play while drinking as well. So uh, other than bowling. <laughs> Truth. Yes. Is yeah. bowling a sport? Oh, wait. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, wait a minute. I used to hey, be. As I say bowling is not oh. a sport. <laughs> oh, boo. Boo. Bowling boo. is a sport in the same way golf is a sport. It's just yeah. more laid back. Yeah, sure. It's it's a it's True. a different type of sport, different activity, different different uh, muscles. Come on, it's a sport. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying, like, we gotta differentiate here. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not a team sport. I mean, you don't you don't have to like you know go into the training room and lift weights to be a bowler. <laughs> yeah, the ball's the weight <laughs> in, in bowling. 